your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're in a series uh, which is based out of a 10-week course I used to teach in the School of Ministry called the Blood Covenant. And I've uh, tried to, I've reduced it to five sessions. We may actually go to six because I've decided to go through these stories, take a spe- one night and go through these stories because I believe it's important. The, the study of the Blood Covenant is vital f- for your, Christ- your walk as a Christian because it is the basis of our confidence in God. Now, our confidence in God should simply be because of who God is. God cannot lie. God, God, because uh, God lied, he, he would fall apart. He stopped being who He is. And if He fell apart, everything else would fall apart. So God cannot lie. God's Word is the truth. And there's power in God's Word to carry out everything God says. So it's not a question of whether God has the ability to do what He says. His words contain in them the very power to carry out what the Word says. It just needs us to believe them. But God knows what we're like. He knows the frame of man. And God wanted us people that were special for Him to have a special relationship. And we don't have time to go into why He did that. Uh, But it was important for what God wanted to teach the world. And so to do that, God chose one man, Abram, and He entered into a blood covenant with Abram so that Abram could understand and have confidence in all that God wanted to do for him. God wanted to bless him. The very first thing God says is, In blessing I will bless you. And then all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And God still holds true to that covenant today. And then Abraham's reaction was, well, what am I going to get out of this? And God took him through a process, which we studied before, by watch God led him through steps to enter into a blood covenant. Now, why is that significant? Because man came up with this institution of covenants. A covenant is more than a contract. A contract is just an exchange of promises. But a covenant is where you pledge something to back up your promise. And a blood covenant is the highest type of covenant because you're literally pledging your life. So what you are saying when you enter into a blood covenant is, I pledge my life. If I violate this, I forfeit my life. But it means more than that. The true significance of a blood covenant is two separate individuals, two separate families, two separate nations, two separate tribes, two separate groups now become one. So all the assets and liability of one are now all the assets and liability, they're exchanged. So the steps of entering into the covenant we looked at are ways of bringing, making clear what we're, you're doing by doing that. And the, and the best example of a blood covenant, what a concept of a blood covenant is, is the covenant of marriage the way God designed it. And that's the only way marriage works. It's the only covenant that God honors. And that is where a man and a woman come together, make a covenant commitment to one another that God blesses, and now those two become one. All there at, and that's so critical because now what we began to study is God entered into a covenant with mankind. What does that mean? That means all God's assets and liabilities become the assets and liabilities of those to, in whom he, with whom He's entered into a covenant. And that goes both ways. That means God has pledged Himself to back up that covenant for whatever's needed, whatever we need, God has literally pledged Himself to back that up. And that's exactly what was behind the cross. We just studied this last week. We went through Good Friday and then in an Easter Sunday studying His death, burial, and resurrection. God literally gave His Son's life in, in fulfillment of His covenant pledge because the thing we needed more than anything was for someone to pay for our sins and it had to be someone that was sinless and that required the God giving of His Son. That God sending His Son to the earth, to Calvary, to die and to be raised for our sins was God living up to his end of the covenant. And we looked at that last time as God walked that out with Abraham. And so, 
So we're going to look tonight at three stories in the Bible. And the reason this is important, and I want to take the time to do that, is these principles are great. But when you can see them acted out in people's lives, and you can see them acted out in Bible stories that in at least two of these cases that you should be familiar with, uh, if you've been around long, one of them we're all familiar with from Sunday school, we're going to look at, these are not just Bible stories, but these are literally people living out this concept of a covenant. And we're going to see in, 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 in one case, you had some people that didn't believe in it and how they acted. In another case, people that did believe in it and how the different results they got. Now, why is that important to us? Because every situation in your life, you can either look at through your natural understanding and your natural eyes, the way you were trained all your life and the way the world, or you can look at it through the terms of a covenant. And it will totally change how you see it. It will totally change what God's able to do for you in that situation. And it will totally change the results. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We began to look at it last week as we turned to First Samuel chapter 17. And it's the story of, of David and Goliath. Old Bible story. I remember as a kid, I can still picture a Sunday school class when I was a young boy having this story read to us out of some simple Bible. And, uh, and it just was a nice story. Um, but we're going to go through it tonight. And again, I remind you, these notes are posted, my notes are posted on, the, on our website under this little red section on the front page that says, Today's Notes. It's real subtle, okay? Now, I just warn you that the notes from this class I'm giving are very detailed. Tonight you're going to see five pages of notes. I'm going to go through them quickly, but that's because this is a ten-week course that I've reduced to five, five weeks, maybe six weeks now. Uh, so I'm going to kind of go through these quickly. But what you'll find if you look at those notes online, there's more detail than we'll be able to cover because I have to skip around a little bit. So this is a story, background. This is uh, the, Israel is now at war with the Philistines, very common situation for them to find themselves in. And the scene opens with the Israel army encamped on one side of a valley and the Philistine army camped on the other side of the valley. And that's kind of how this opens up. Not kind of how that. That's how it opens up. And so we'll start here. Now the Philistines were gathered and their armies together for battle. And they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Succoth and that, that place. Verse 2. And Saul, the king, and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they were camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. They're lined up for battle. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the other side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. So they're lined up on two sides of this valley, and the valley was in between. Verse 4, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath. That's the town he was from. He was six cubits in a span. He's, the, he's about 12 feet high. And he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Um, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin over his shoulders. The note in my Bible says all of this weighed about 126 pounds. So he had, he had a bronze armor. The armor itself weighed about 126 pounds. That's just the armor. Most of us would fall over flat on our chest. Verse 7. He had a staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And this iron, spear, iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and that's about 26 pounds. And he had a shield bearer before him. We talked briefly, but this becomes important to the end of the story. So you've got, or oh, I'm on the wrong side. This is where the Philistines are. You've got the Philistines, or we're going to get confused. And you've got Goliath who comes out 
about 12 feet high, 126 pounds of armor on. He's got mail, which was like a, a heavy screening, which is so that a spear could not penetrate it wherever he had movement in his arms. He has a bronze helmet on that was thick right in the front, and it had a piece that would come down over this very vulnerable spot, which is above the top of a bridge at, your, at the bridge of your nose. And he had a shield bearer whose job was to walk in front of him. Imagine having that job. But the shield would literally be about six feet high. It would be the height. So it was designed so for an average soldier who held the shield up, it would cover him for a frontal attack. Okay, that's the scene here. Verse 8, He stood and cried out before the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I Now, now what we're going to listen for here as we go through this conversation is very clear. We're learning covenant. And we're going to see some covenant terms here. We're going to see that Goliath comes out twice a day for 40 days and he's telling Israel what he's going to do to them. Now remember, the Israelites are professional soldiers. They're trained for battle. And for 40 days they sit there hearing twice a day. So that's 80 times they've heard this message. And they never answer it. And we're going to see why. Because it all comes down to how you see yourself and how you see God and how you see your relationship with Him. In whatever situations you're facing in your life right now, it depend, you, can, you can say, you can jump and shout in church. You can praise God when you read your Bible. But when the pressure's on, how you see God, what He's like, and how you see yourself will determine what you do. And we're going to see that clearly here. All right. And if I don't get through all three of these stories tonight, we'll do it later. Okay. But this is, these are important. So verse 8, he said, Why do I come out for a line of battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are the... Listen to this. You are the servants of Saul. He's telling them who they are. Under any pressure situation, the devil will tell you who you are. You're that person that's failed all these times. You're the person that has no education. You're, he'll tell you something about yourself, and there may be truth in it, but that's not who God's made you to be. They were the army of Israel, but that's not their covenant identity. Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Verse 9. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then I shall be your, you should be our servants and serve us. Look at verse 10. And the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Now let's break that statement down. I defy the armies of Israel. That means the army that belongs to Israel. These are the, sun, the glasses that belong to John. They're John's glasses, glasses of John. It's a, of is a possessive pronoun. So he's telling them they are the army that belongs to Israel. Now that should have triggered something in their mind because the name Israel is the name of a man, not the name of a country. And God gave him that name, and that name is Prince of God. So what he's literally saying here is, I defy the armies of the Prince of God. But that's not how they listened to it. They listened to it as their national identity. And I don't want to go off there, because we could spend the rest of the night there. Verse 11, When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed 
And they were afraid. Why? Because they saw themselves the same way Goliath saw themselves. Goliath is saying, you are an army, which is a natural fighting machine. You are, you, you. He's telling them who they are in their natural terms. You are an army of soldiers with natural weapons, and your identity is you, you are of the nation of Israel. And that's how they saw themselves. Verse 12. Now David was the son of... We're going to skip down here. Let's see, because I've got to try to save a little time. Verse 16 tells us that the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So that's 80 times. He was proud that he was a Philistine. And he saw Judah, this nation, as the servants of Saul. Let's look at... Um, Well, let's go down. Okay, so the story is now, David's the run of the family. He's the young kid. His brothers have been sent off to war. They're part of this army over here. David's out, a little boy, so he's out, a young boy. He's out tending his father's sheep. But while he's out tending his father's sheep, he's in a wilderness. And when he's in a wilderness, he's alone with a bunch of smelly sheep and animals out there that want to eat the sheep. We know at least two things happened because he'll tell us later on that these, he was attacked by a lion and by a bear. So David had to learn some things in a wilderness not surrounded by other soldiers to help him and to comfort him. It was David, the smelly sheep, and God. And this is the man that wrote so many of the Psalms, especially Psalm 23, Psalm 91 about protection. These were not theological dissertations. These were things that came out of his faith that grew by facing situations just God and him in the wilderness. And sometimes it's got to be just you and God in a wilderness before you'll begin to grow in faith. Because many of us have too many soldiers around us to trust in, but these soldiers were weak in their faith. And that's where a lot of our soldiers we trust in are also. Okay, we won't go there. Okay, so let's move on through this. So as a result, they lost sight of their covenant with God. And they became, in their eyes, what Goliath said they were. Now David comes out, his father sends him to bring a care package to his brothers. And, and he goes to greet them. Verse 23, Then as he talked with them, his brothers, the champion, the Philistine of Geth, Goliath by name, came up from the armies of the Philistine and spoke according to the same words, and David heard him. So for 80 sessions, the soldiers have heard him. David's going to hear the same words, but he's going to hear them through the ears of somebody that understands the covenant. Amen. Verse 24, when Goliath said the same words, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who came up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. It will be that the man who kills him, the king will make him with great riches, be free of taxes, and his wife, he's going to can marry the king's daughter. And then David basically says, What'd you say he gets? <laughs> David spoke, verse 26, to the man and said, who stood with him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? Look what David says. Who is this? uncircumcised Philistine. So David doesn't see him as a giant. 
David doesn't see him with the natural eyes. I mean, the, the, the guy's 12 feet tall, 126 pounds of armor on him. He's got a spear with a 26-pound iron head on it, and a, he's got a shield bear in front of him. And David says, he doesn't say, who is this giant? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine. Now remember we talked about how God entered into the covenant with Abraham and in Genesis 17 one of the steps under the covenant, a natural covenant, there would be a cutting of the body somewhere that would shed blood. What God said in Genesis 17, the mark of this covenant that I'm making with you is you will cut the flesh of a boy's foreskin when he's eight months old. You will circumcise him. That causes the two things, the flowing of blood and it leaves a mark that identifies them as a covenant child of God. And David's saying, I don't care how tall he is, I don't care the armor he has on, who is this Philistine that has no covenant with God? So David sees people challenges through the issue of covenant. Who's got a covenant and who doesn't have a covenant? And look what he says. This is verse 26. For, for, remember Goliath said, I defy the army of Israel. The Israelite soldiers say, he's defied the army of Israel. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David identifies the army as being an army that belongs by covenant to the living God. So what David's saying here is this, wait a minute, this shouldn't be. This guy has no covenant with God and he's defying God because our God of our covenant says, whoever comes against you has come against me. David sees whatever comes against Israel as defying and coming against the God they're in covenant with. Oh, that should excite you. Because my Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We have a new identity. And our identity is in Christ. So we should see everything we face, everything that comes against us, everything we should face as if because it's true, we are in Christ and nothing can separate you from Him because you're in Him. And He's in you. All right, we got to move along here. Oh boy, do we have to move along. So the people ask him, they say, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get his daughter. You're going to be free from taxes. You're going to have all his favor. Um, and, then, and then he says, um, the word now goes to, to Saul, the, the, gen, the captain, the, the, the king, that somebody, this kid is challenging Goliath. And David says in verse 32, said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul says to David, verse 33, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight for him because you're but a youth and he's a man of war. So Saul, the leader of the nation, is looking at this giant and looking at this boy David in natural terms. He says, who are you? You're a kid. You're not a trained soldier. And this man's been a trained soldier from his youth and he's better armed than you are. In verse 34, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep my father's sheep, and the lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by a beard and I hit it in the face. Imagine that. That's pretty bold. The lion comes at you, you grab it by its beard and go, boom! <laughs> and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing again, he's defied the armies of the living God. David's confidence against the lion and the bear was not because he was so strong and so skilled, because he knew the covenant he had with God. Verse 37, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the palm of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of the... Notice the boldness of his speech. My God who delivered me from the lion and the bear, my God will deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul says, Go and God be with you. (laughs) I love that. So what happens is Saul tries to clothe him with his own armor. Saul is seven feet tall. And David's trying to walk around in this armor because he's thinking in natural terms. David's trying to walk around this armor and finds, I can't do this. This armor's not tested. I need some armor that's been tested. So he took the armor off. Because the armor that was tested was he walked in the covenant of God, the covenant promise of God. If someone comes against you, they've come against me. So David goes and says, I can't, verse 40, David took a staff in his hand, chose for him five smooth stones. Somebody taught once, why five stones? Because Goliath had four of the brothers. Put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had, and his sling, which was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. Now remember, the professional, professional Israeli soldiers aren't drawing near, they're hiding in their camp. The kids now drawing near with boldness. And began, and so the Philistine, verse 41, came and was drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. And the Philistine says to David, Am I a dog that you've come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. See, the devil wants to think you're separate from Christ. And he wants to threaten you by telling you who you are. Telling you your failures. And disdaining you. Who are you? You should be afraid of me. Because look what I can do to you. Maybe you're standing in faith for some healing. And he points out to you other people that have stood in faith for that and they died or they didn't get well. He's trying to undermine your confidence in God by taking your eyes off of God and looking at you and other situations. See, this David that says this in Psalm 91 says, A thousand may fall on my side and ten thousand at my right hand. What difference does it act to make? It's not going to be near me. I love that verse. Because what's telling me is David says, I don't care what other people's experiences. I know it's not going to come near me. Because I know I've got a covenant with God. I want to show you that this is real. But you've got to look at things, begin to look at things through the terms of this covenant, that you, the God that you're in covenant with. Amen. Let's go to uh, verse 45. Now, David answers the Philistine. The soldiers didn't answer it. The king didn't answer it. David answers the Philistine. The, I love it. The Philistine says, you've come at me with sticks? You're just a kid, and you're coming with... That's the weapons you've got? But he doesn't understand the weapons that David has. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear? That's all you got? All you got is a sword and a spear and a javelin? That's all you got? 
Because here's what I come with you in. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Oh, by the way, you defied Him. You're not in trouble with me. I'm nobody. But you're in trouble with the God I'm in covenant with. And I, the weapon I come with you with is the name of the Lord of hosts whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your hand. He's telling him what's going to happen to him. And the carcasses from the camp or the birds in the air, they're going to eat you and all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord... So the, the world's going to know there's a God in Israel and this army's going to know, verse 47, that the Lord does not say by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into my hands, our hands. Amen. And then what happened? You know the story is the, 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 they come towards each other. And as they come towards each other, David takes his sling. Let me see... Um, Richard, I always use you. Would you come up here a minute? John, would you come up here a minute? Okay. Would you come up here? John, you're over there. You're David. You're David. You're my, you're, you face him. You're my shield bearer. I'm, I'm a 12, I'm a lot. You're closer to me, Richard. Okay. All right. So, actually, let's see. Let's get... Um, who wants to come up here? Stephen? I can see you want to come up. You're going to be Goliath. <laughs> you stand here. I'm going to show you what happens. You're going to stand behind your shield bear. It's better to stand behind him. <laughs> okay. Now, we, we don't have enough room here, but, but they, they studied angles, so the shield bear is going to be far enough in front of Goliath so that the angle is such that anything shot at, at, at Goliath is either going to get stuck in the spear or at the angle it's going to go over his head. You follow me? That's why the shield bear was way out in front. That's important. Because remember what, what David said. David saw it covered. He says, it's the God of Israel that's going to slay you, not me. So David picks up his sling and David starts running to him and starts swinging it, and at some point he throws it in the air. So it's the, the stone goes up in the air. Now, I started meditating on this. What happened when you meditate? It dawned on me one day, if that stone went at a straight angle, it's either going to bounce off the shield, or it's going to go over the shield bearer's head and over Goliath's head, and it won't touch him. That's the whole idea of this. Okay? So in order to hit Goliath, that stone had to go up in the air, over the shield, and then come down with a downward weight of the gravity and hit Goliath. Now here's the problem. Goliath is wearing a bronze helmet and it's going to be reinforced across the, the front here and especially reinforced down the nose. So that stone has to go high enough to go over the shield and then drop down at an angle and a thrust to go through the metal, the bronze uh, helmet and kill him. Here's what I know happened. Because remember what David said, it's not me coming against you, I'm coming against you in the name of the God of Israel. David could have thrown the stone up over there. 
David could have thrown the stone right here. Because what happened, I believe, is he threw it in the air. That was his act of faith. And God took it. And God threw it down in his head. And killed him dead. Thank you, gentlemen. You did a great job. You make a good Goliath. <laughs> the God of the covenant and then David goes over and cuts his head off alright let's go to 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 very famous story so the question is what are the Goliaths in your life what are the giants that are threatening you telling you you can't ever do such and such Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's that you've never had whatever it is God's promised you and you don't see any way to do it. Maybe it's years of failure and you've been a Christian for a while and you just don't think like you've ever... Whatever that giant is, it's whatever's standing in your way of what God's called you to do. It's whatever's telling you who you are. And the longer you listen to it, the bigger the giant gets and the weaker you get. So you've got to begin to meditate on the covenant you have with God and begin to talk to that giant, talk to that giant, just like Jesus told us to talk to mountains, but talk to it and count. Say, he wants to make you the issue. That's what Goliath was doing. He wanted to make Israel, who they were, the issue. David wouldn't let him make him the issue. David made God the issue, the God he's in covenant with. Similar story, but it's, it's got a, a, a love some of, the, some of the same verses in it. Second Chronicles 20, very famous story. The background here is that... Uh, well, let's start reading. I'll give you the background. Oh, by at this point, what's happened to Israel, they don't have one king now. After, after Solomon dies, his son took over. son didn't listen to the elders. The kingdom split into the northern ten tribes called Israel now and the southern, southern two tribes called Judah. And as this story picks up, what's happened is um, uh, we're, we're looking at from the, the point of view of the southern tribe of Judah. Jehoshaphat was, uh, I think, the third king of the southern tribe of, of Judah. Okay. It happened after this that the people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and the others with beside them of the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And they came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming. So there's three nations coming down against him, and they're lining up together in, a, in this uh, place which is in Gedi, actually. And Jehoshaphat, verse 3, feared and set himself to seek the Lord. I, I love that because his, so he wakes up one day and his, his, his aide comes and tells him, uh, King, we got a problem. These three armies are bearing down on us. Uh, and Jehoshaphat's first reaction when he gets a bad report like that is fear. You can't stop your first reaction. It's what you do with that reaction that's so critical. Notice what Jehoshaphat does here. Jehoshaphat, verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared, but he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Now, background here. There's a verse that we use when we're praying for our nation. If my people called by my name shall, call, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, and, uh, and I will hear from heaven and heal their land. That's not just a verse somewhere in the Bible. 
when the temple, when Solomon built the temple and the temple was dedicated, part of his dedication is he prayed to the Lord and said, we want to establish this as a place that if we ever get in trouble, that we can come here and call upon you, covenant terms, come here and call upon you and you will hear from heaven and answer you. And in that verse that's so famous was God's answer to that verse. Everybody following me? Here we now are several hundred years later and they are in that situation. So Jehoshaphat goes and calls on the Lord, goes to the temple and calls upon the Lord to honor the covenant promise that he made. So this isn't just, this is so important to understand. He's now, they're now in, they're, they're in trouble. The enemy's bearing down on them and he's not just throwing up some prayer hoping that maybe God will hear an answer. See, that's so often what our prayers are like especially in a crisis. We just start throwing prayers up. Maybe something will stick up there. And we get other people panicking and throwing prayers up too without ever really having time to concentrate and meditate that God's really going to hear this and answer it. Because what God's promise is to hear prayers that are offered in faith. James chapter 1 says you've got to ask in faith nothing doubting. Jesus said the same thing. Mark eleven twenty three and 4. Whosoever shall say in this mountain, Be thou cast in the sea, and not doubt in your heart, not doubt in your heart, but believe what you said shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you saith. And so, really believing and expecting that God's going to hear this. But the basis of that is not what you think God's like. The basis of it is God's covenant promises. So the, the, the most powerful way to pray is to take God's promises and pray them back to Him. Because He's already promised to do it. Well, why do we need to do that? Because God said, put me in remembrance. He wants us to pray because He wants us to know, several reasons, He wants us to know that He, that he heard you and answered your prayer. It will develop your relationship with Him. The other thing is, and we don't have time to get into all this, when God established Adam on the earth, He gave him dominion on the earth. God delegated authority here. God didn't take it back when Adam turned it over to Satan. God didn't say, oh, oh, you blew it, I'm going to take it back. God couldn't take it back legally because He would have gone back on His Word. But what God did do is send His Son to, the, to earn it back by buying it back with His blood. So the church now has been given His name and His authority. God cannot act in this earth, aside from some rare situation, God cannot act in this earth unless somebody in an earth suit authorizes Him to act. So the Word tells us what He wants to do, but He needs us to invite Him into the situations because He's put us in a position of authority on the earth, and God won't violate that. Amen. That was about a two-minute lesson that should take about four sessions to take. All right, we'll go back to Joe here, Jehoshaphat. Okay, now what he's going to do is he gathered the prophets, verse 5, 400 men, and said to them, we're going to go to war. Uh, no, wrong, wrong chapter. Whoops, <laughs> I didn't think that was right. And so they're going to pray. And verse, um, verse 6, and, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, listen to this prayer, Lord God of our fathers, God in heaven, do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the earth and nations? And in your hand there is not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Are you not our God? Amen. No other nation could say he was their God because he'd not given himself to any other nation. This is covenant language. He's reminding God of a covenant. You are our God. 
who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. We didn't have time to go into it, but one of the covenant terms is friend. Friend in the Old Testament doesn't mean buddy-buddy, or even the New Testament. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? I no longer call you my servants. You are my friends, because you don't tell your servant what you're going to do, but I tell you because you're my friends. That doesn't mean, hey, I got kind of close to you guys, so we're kind of buddies now. No, it's a covenant term. It's like blood brothers. Okay, verse, tw- verse 8. And they dwell in it and have built your sanctuary in it for your name. These are all covenant references. He's reminding God of the covenant. Verse 9. Saying. So this was, the, this, was the, this was what was said when Solomon dedicated the temple. If a disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the, this temple in your presence for your name your covenant name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save us. And now he tells them what the problem is. Notice, we're what? Four verses into this prayer before he even tells God what the problem is. And what do we do? Oh God! Oh God, you see what's going on here? Oh God, what's going to happen to me? Oh God! No, he starts out by reminding God of the covenant promises that God has made. And now he says, and this is our situation now. And he goes on and basically says, you would not let us fight against them when we were coming to the promised land. And verse 11, they're rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Verse 12, oh, our God, the God who belongs to us, Will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. I love this. He's, he's honest with God. God knows they don't know what to do. You know, it's okay to tell God you don't know what to do. He knows you don't know what to do. He's not impressed with going and telling him what you know. He knows what you know. You need to come to be honest. I don't know what to do here. I really don't know what to do here. And now you're open to hear. But see, when you have a covenant relationship with God, you can be real and honest with Him. We don't know what to do. Look at this. But our eyes are on you. And they stood, Israel stood before Him, and a prophet speaks, verse 15. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle's not yours, but it's God's. Remember, covenant, whoever comes against you comes against me. God's answer when they're afraid, see, they saw themselves and they were in their own strength. They were weak when it came to these three armies. They're outnumbered. That's the fact. They're outnumbered. It was a fact. Goliath was bigger, stronger, better, better armed, better everything else than David. That was a fact. But there's a truth that's beyond the fact, and that's the imposition of the covenant on top of that. It's like putting on x-ray vision. Remember, remember Clark Kent? He had x-ray vision. You know, he'd be, Clark Kent would take off those glasses, and now he could see through everything. He'd see steel. And, you know, he, could, he had different eyes. He could see things differently. 
And these men, Jehoshaphat and David, are looking at these situations, these natural situations, through covenant eyes and covenant terms. And you are facing and are facing everyday situations that threaten us or our family or our children. And God's telling us, if you look at them through the covenant I've made with you, you're going to see it in very different terms. You won't panic and react. Yes, they were afraid, but he turned right away to his covenant partner and says, this is what, what are you going to do? You have a right to call upon God in these situations because God's made a covenant with you and He's waiting for us to call upon Him. He wants us to call upon Him. We're not imposing on Him. This was His idea. Man didn't talk God into this. God's had to talk man into coming to Him for help. He wants you to come to Him for help. Verse 16, he gives them instructions. Tomorrow go down against them, and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook of the woods. Tell them where they're going to be. And you don't need to fight in this battle. You don't need to fight in the battles you're fighting. You don't. The Bible talks about fighting the fight of faith. The fight of faith isn't fighting the devil. Your fight's not against the devil. In fact, in, in, in Ephesians 6, where it talks about warfare against the devil, it says, having done all to stand. It doesn't say fight. Stand. Because the battle's not yours. The battle's not yours. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Verse 6, 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Look at this. He says three things. Position yourself. Set yourself. Stand still. Don't run around panic. Stand still and see, expect to see, look for, anticipate the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Covenant language. O Judah and Israel, do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow, but go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now he's telling them here, Because it's my battle, you don't need to fight. What you need to do are three things. Only stand still. Set yourself. See, the battle is between our soul and the circumstances. Your mind, your will, your emotions are telling you, the devil's telling you what's going to happen. And he's got a lot of help from our unrenewed mind. You notice you start projecting out, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And the next thing you know, your, your mind's creating this image of what's going to happen, and it's not good. But you can use that same imagination to create an image that is good. And he's saying, see your salvation. See your children coming home. See yourself getting well. See your, your relative coming off that sickbed. Begin to see it. That's why God gave you an imagination so you could begin to see what the promise is coming about. Why use it for the devil, for fear? Use it for positive, to see the salvation. Because God's told us to do that. Well, that's just, uh, it's not real. I'm a mad. God said to do it. Expect to see results. Amen. Their response to God's promise in verse 18 and 19 is that 19, they bowed and worshipped Him. They went out to the edge of the battlefield, verse 20. So they rode early, early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, 
And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets. In other words, believe the word that you heard, and you shall prosper. And then he appointed singers. I like this. They put their worship team out in front. They put their worship team out in front. Worship is a spiritual weapon. Worship is a spiritual weapon. They put their worship team out in front. Verse 20. Uh, but I know I'm down here. Okay. Verse 24. And when they came, Judah came to a place overseeing the wilderness. They looked towards the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat's people came down to take their spoils, oh wait, a I missed something. Uh, but, 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 but. We're going back to verse twenty-two. And when they began to sing and to sing praise to the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. What happens is, as they're worshiping God, God confuses the enemy, and the enemy began to destroy. One or the, they, they got confused as to who their real enemy were. So the two armies fight each other, and then the third army comes in and, and gets destroyed. So they kill each other. So here's what happens now. Verse 24, as, as Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat's people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there were so much. Here's the threat that comes in, just like threats come against you, overwhelming threats. Three armies to overtake them and overwhelm them. Jehoshaphat wakes up to get an evil report. It's amazing how sometimes those are late in the middle of the night or the first thing in the morning, you get this news report or something, this is going to happen, and this report, this is what's coming up. It's a fact. Jehoshaphat's first reaction was he was afraid. His first reaction to, was an emotion of fear, but his mind was renewed to the covenant to know what to do. I know, I'm not going to try to handle this fear on my own. I'm going to go to my, our covenant partner, God. And he comes before God and reminds God of the promise that God's made to them. He said, we established this place so that in these situations we could come. And you promised that you would hear us. And here's who we are. We are the people that belong to you. You gave us this land. You, over, you, you drove out the inhabitants before us. You told us not to attack these people. We obeyed you. And now this is how they're rewarding us. And we don't know what to do. We're outnumbered, and we don't know what to do. But all we know is this, our eyes are on you. You're our covenant partner. What are you going to do? Now, what's, what's, what does Peter say? Casting all your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. It literally means in the Greek, because it matters to Him concerning you. He doesn't want you struggling with those issues. He doesn't want you struggling with the battle. He wants you to believe Him. Fight. I've watched God turn situations around that had no answer to them. No answer possible. But He's God! The one you're in partnership with can do anything! Hebrew, uh, slow down, John. Romans 4. 
talks about Abraham's faith, his confidence. God told him that he was going to have a child, and he, they were too old, and her womb was, 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 was barren. And after some struggle to develop his faith, it says in there that he, that, 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 um, he did not waver in unbelief. He was not moved by the fact that his physical body told him, every time he got up, every time he did anything that involved his body, his body told him, no way, Abraham, this ain't happening. And then he looked at Sarah. <laughs> and she looked at him and said, this isn't going to happen. In fact, both of them at different points laughed at God's promise. But God's testimony, I love this, God's testimony about them in the New Testament, looking back, they waver not in unbelief. Isn't that nice? God's testimony about you is what happens at the end, not all that you went through to get there. Waver not in unbelief, but who's strong in faith. See, God, whatever you're going through, God wants you to, in the challenge, to grow strong in faith, to take whatever the enemies use to come against you and turn it against Him so that you become stronger in that situation. Paul says, I glory in tribulation, Romans chapter 5. Because tribulation, this is not because Paul's insane. Paul's learned through some experiences of his life. I've learned the secret. I glory in the tribulation because I understand this. Tribulation is going to produce something in me. Now, it doesn't do it automatically, just as barbells don't produce muscles unless you press against them. But tribulation, when I stand firm, it produces endurance. And if I'll endure, it produces proven character. Then proven character produces hope. And hope will not disappoint. God will not fail me. God will not disappoint me because I'm in covenant with Him and He's sworn by His own life to fulfill His promises. I want this to get in you. God's backed His promises with His own life. Where was I? That was good. So here you've got this situation and because they acted on the covenant and turned to their covenant partner and then did what he said to do, he says, look, this isn't your battle, this is mine. Because my promise to Abraham is anybody that comes against you comes against me. Now there's stories from the Six-Day War where Egypt attacked Israel back in 67. That's the year we were getting married. So I remember all this. We got out of college. The Vietnam War was here. Everything was really intense. And I was very living through all this stuff that was going on. And, and, and I remember the stories that there were... There were um, when, when, the Egyptians, um, uh, when the Egyptians were being attacked by the Israelites, uh, the Israelis, that they would fire these Russian-made cannons at them. And they missed. They'd either go over them or they'd fall short. They'd recalibrate them. They would go short, they'd recalibrate, they'd go over, they couldn't hit them. Amen. So they panicked and they left. When the, Israelite, the Israelis came and overtook them and got the guns, they turned them around and they worked every time. Amen. I'm telling you, this is real. Yeah. People that mess with Israel, God's still a covenant. God has not forgotten the covenant He made with Israel. Amen. And his, He's patient, He's long-suffering, but it's coming. It's coming. They can make all kinds of threats against Israel, but it's not Israel they're making the threat against. It's the God that's in covenant with, a, with Israel. And God is still in covenant with Israel, and we are part of Israel because we are engrafted in that covenant through the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about uh, next week or so. Okay. All right. We've got to move this, bring, bring this close. So I love this. So there, the three armies come at them. God defends them. They just sing and have a praise service. And they get was it four days or three days to pick up 
to pick up the spoils. So they get the spoils. And the only injury any Israeli soldier got in this battle is if they happen to cut themselves picking up some of the spoil. Because the battle was not theirs. It was the Lord's. My brothers and sisters, this is not just some Bible story. This is not just some Bible story. This is the covenant that you and I are heirs to this covenant. And we're going to see before we're finished, we're in a better covenant on better promises. A more sure covenant. We need to learn to look at the situations of our life that look overwhelming to us in terms of not what we can do, but what can the God we're in covenant do in this situation. Because the battle's not yours. The battle's mine, says the Lord. And then he says, will you let me fight the battle? I've seen more situations happen where people are in this horrible situation, whether it's, I know a situation where someone's child was horribly injured in an accident. And they went for weeks and weeks and months and months fighting this in the hospital, believing God and nothing was happening. And finally got to the point where they ran out of everything they could do. Sometimes that's what has to happen to us. They ran out of all their energy. They were frustrated. They were just broken. And this, this person, I knew him well, pulled over the side of the road and said, God, I can't do this anymore. I give up. And then that day, that moment in time, answers began to come that turned that entire situation around because he stopped trying to fight the battle himself and turned it over to the God of his covenant who said, the battle's not yours, but it's mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the covenant promise. Forgive our unbelief. Lord, so many of us in this room tonight and we're dealing with issues that just can seem overwhelming to us. And maybe they're not overwhelming, but they weigh on us. Sometimes it's the ones that we're not even that conscious of that weigh down on us and they're just, we, we don't, we're not anxious about them consciously but they're there weighing on us because we've never turned them over to you. And Father, that's unbelief. But it's out of ignorance in most cases. Ignorance of the covenant promises that you made to us. We so often come to you without understanding the basis on which you want us to come to you. And you want us to come to you on the basis of the covenant word that you've given to us and the covenant promises that you've given to us. We belong to you, but you belong to us. We're one with Christ. We have no identity that's separate from him. What he is, we are. And what we are, he is. We are one with him. Lord, may that become more and more real to us as we leave tonight and face the situations that are at home, situations that are on the job tomorrow, situations of our lives. And maybe it's not us. Maybe it's people that we care about. You want us to have confidence that we can come to you and that you hear and answer our prayers. For that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close the service, I want to ask you this question. I know most of you in here, but I don't know.